0: Thank you for joining me on this episode. This episode is part of the Mother's Message series that I have on this podcast, where I invite fellow moms and dads, if they would like to come, to share a message about something in their lives that happened with their child, to educate other parents. And I'm just so grateful to welcome Nicole Hughes. She is a mother. Um, we're talking about her loss um, of her child to drowning and how she's turning her grief into advocacy to help other families save their children from drowning incidents. So thank you so much for joining me today, Nicole. Oh, thank you. Oh, I really appreciate you having me here. Well, that appreciation goes right back at you. You know, yeah. I'm so grateful we were able to connect on social media. Um, for everyone listening, we're both on Instagram. Nicole's on Instagram as Nicole Hughes Eight. I'm going to put that on my show notes. And um, I had posted something on my feed about swimming lessons, and so one of her friends tagged her, and um, you know, we'd start a conversation about swimming lessons and the importance of swimming lessons. But we're going to get into what the importance is. It's not just swimming lessons, but it's yeah. survival skills, and we're going to talk all about this. And you know, we're going to talk about what happened, but just turning what happened to your family um, into advocacy is such a hard thing to do for many. You know, I don't think it can come with a lot of emotions and it can come with a lot of stuff with that. But I just so appreciate as a pediatrician, as a mother myself, just what you're doing to help other families be educated. And like we talked about earlier before the recording, just not fear mongering, but just education so people can make the best decisions to really help save lives. So I really appreciate you. No, exactly. Yeah, it takes a lot of
1: courage, I think, to to listen, to be Mm -hmm. willing to be open to listening to this. And, you know, obviously it is about child loss and I do not want to fear monger. We still, my girls, we're in the pool all the time. We live on a Mm -hmm. lake. I mean, this is not about avoiding water, uh, but it is about, you know, what I wish I had known, you know, three years ago. Uh, There was so much information in my brain about, you know, screen time and, you know, organic food and all of these things that drowning was definitely almost felt like background noise. I mean, of course I knew kids could drown, mm-hmm. but I thought that it was as simple as, you know, watch your kids when you're swimming. Like, yeah. I, you know, and, and obviously we took it very seriously. And I think actually that is what does motivate me so much to advocate is we did take it very seriously. And when, when you look at everything that is like the sort of generic recommendations for water safety, we did all of those. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have well, I have 16 photos of what would be my son's final day of life. And in 14 of those, he was wearing a life jacket or a puddle jumper. Yeah. We, I never let him near water. I thought that was the best thing to do, you know, and um, yeah. we waited until he was ready to start swim lessons and all of these things that I thought I was doing the right thing on. And, and now I know so much um, of what I will do differently and what I am doing differently with our other children.
0: Oh, and that's, I, I really appreciate you saying that. And you said one thing about waiting for readiness and we're going to go over like how that can be, much earlier than people think, because it, yes. it really can be. And puddle jumpers, we can maybe get into that. You know why I also don't recommend puddle jumpers, and I, love I don't use it. yeah, and I don't use it for my own son. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of those things, like, and you said it perfectly when we started. Like, I know families are using puddle jumpers. I get it. Like, I see it. I have friends who use puddle jumpers for their kids, and it's not like every day I'm lecturing someone about don't use a puddle jumper, like in like social situations. But it is about again, awareness and education about, hey, and we'll, we should definitely get into that later. But this is why I don't want you wearing a puddle jumper and what psychologically a child may think when they have a puddle jumper and they now don't. Um, and so we're going to get into that. But, you know, first, I again, I wanted to thank you for your vulnerability. I know sharing this again, and you've done other podcasts as well. And I know you've shared your story um many places. But I just really want to thank you and appreciate you for uh, sharing your story. And just tell us a little bit about what happened with Levi. That's your son's name. You know, what happened? You said you guys were doing all the things you knew what to do. But if you're willing to share whatever you are willing to share, that would be amazing. You're so, thank
1: you for how gentle you've handled this. And I have shared it, but it always is so, um, it feels like the first time every time, you know, that I do share it, uh, the story, it's still feels so genuine. And I always am so grateful for how I feel like people meet it with gentleness and just an open heart. So Mm -hmm. um, my my husband's actually a physician as well. He's an anesthesiologist. And when he was in training, we lived in Alabama and we started going on this annual beach trip every year with five other families that through um, the residency program. So They became, I mean, you know, you know how it is. Like when you're in residency, these were like our family this became our family. And every year we took this trip. And in 2018, in June of 2018, we'd been going for more than 10 years. And this was our seventh trip just in the same exact house. By this point, we lived in six different states and we still came every year. We still do it every year for a week in June, spend it together. It's the best week. It's such a special time. And so the first full day was a Sunday and Levi was three, he turned three that March you know, we had decided to wait until he was ready for swim lessons. So before we even left the living room, there was a pool of two pools in the backyard or I'm sorry, but, you know, behind the house, um, I would put his pedal jumper on him. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought that's what I was supposed to do. It said U S coast guard approved at the time, you know, I had no idea how misleading that was. So I made sure he always had his pedal jumper on before we even left the house. I mean, I told him and told him and told him over and over and over, you never go near the water without mommy. I mean, he knew yeah, in fact, yeah. I would say to him what happens if you go near the water without mommy? And he would say, we won't see each other again. It will be very sad. Mm. I mean, he, mm-hmm. I did it as best as I thought a three-year-old could understand. Yeah. Um, of course, now I know it's not enough to tell them. You have to show them, yeah. um, which we can touch on in, you know, in a minute. But so, of course, there's so much to this story and how loved he was and how he lives and how special he was to our family. Um, we had two older girls. They were nine and five at the time. And then Levi was our final, our baby. Uh-huh. Um, we spent the entire day the pool, at the ocean. He's wearing a life jacket or a puddle jumper the entire day. You know, flying a kite, life jacket. Eating m ms next to his dad, life jacket. Pool uh-huh. with his big sisters, puddle jumper. And I have 14 photos, time stamped, on that day, on that time. We, you know, we had no idea that these would be the last pictures we would have of him. And that evening we'd finished swimming for the day. It was about 630 and we were waiting for it to get dark to go crab hunting. It was always like this annual tradition on the Sunday. We went, And it kind of started raining, which is relevant because we always took the toys out of the pool. And um, that night we didn't because it was lightning. We were just trying to get everybody inside. And so we ate dinner and Levi was wearing his yellow crab hunting shirt. I'd already given him a bath in Mm -hmm. khaki shorts, 10 adults in the room. It's like a really big house. We all stay in one house. It's a really big house. And he was sitting on the couch watching America's Funniest Videos. There was this raccoon that they all thought was so funny. And all the kids are there. We're all just kind of walking around, cleaning up, you know, whatever. My phone was charging in the other room. I wasn't on Facebook. I wasn't drinking. And it was just cleaning up after dinner. I gave him a bowl of Cheetos, and you know, it was on the couch. And I turned uh-huh. around. I mean, it was he was no more than 20 feet away from me at any given point. And somehow I split a brownie with him, very small brownie. Mm-hmm. I put half in his bowl and then I ate the other half. And somehow he managed to get out of the heavy doors and down a flight of stairs. And he reached the pool alone. Mm-hmm. And a moment, I mean, it was so quick that honestly, we didn't even know he was missing. I mean, we were just yeah. all kind of moving around, like doing that transition work of, you know, dinner is over waiting for a ticket get to go crab hunting. And I just walked on the balcony, still haven't finished my small brownie piece mm-hmm. still in my mouth and looked out just to check on the weather and happened to glance down and saw Levi in the pool. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, like I said, every time, even right now, I'm still thinking, mm-hmm. how, like, what? Mm-hmm. but we weren't swimming. We weren't mm-hmm. swimming. And, and of course that was my immediate reaction was just, and I think it lasted a na- I mean, not even a, split second before I reacted, obviously, but I do remember that shock and confusion. And I just thought, but we aren't swimming. But we aren't swimming. Like I mean, yeah. I didn't like, I could not process this. And then of course started screaming, banging on the doors, and you know, they all just came running. And yeah, I will say that later, you know, speaking as a physician, you know, we had six physicians later, All different states, six different states, Florida, Georgia, Illinois, Louisiana, South Carolina, Tennessee. I mean, we live on, there's water around all of us. Mm -hmm. Every single person later said they thought someone had fallen down the stairs. And I was, we were overlooking two pools and an ocean. And it wasn't that we didn't take water safety seriously, obviously. I mean, we watched our kids when we were swimming. We, you know, of course we did. But this idea of the non-swim time had never reached any of us. And, um, you know, we managed to get... Well, I jumped in. I ran down the stairs and jumped in and pulled him out. And they had an EpiPen. They had a full intubation kit. Wow. In, it was five anesthesiologists. Um, mm-hmm. And even with that immediate medical attention, um, he was airlifted. But we lost him. You know, just later that later that night. And it
0: sucks. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I had a better,
1: more eloquent way wow. to say it,
0: but. It does. I mean, I'm look. I've heard this story. I'm like I told you. I knew your story before I met you today. And hearing you talk about it, oh, um, I'm putting myself there with you. And I'm just. So sorry. You know, I I'm I, I really appreciate you taking the time to reshare the story because I know that is hard. Um, so I, I again really want to express that gratitude you. that I that I mentioned before because I know that reliving something, even if you are have turned it into advocacy, even if you have grown your family, even da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Yes, it's there so is no lost. Yes, Yes, no, at
1: least that gives me my life and that's, and that is, and that is hard, but you know, it is the share. I I appreciate you being willing to listen and, you know, to share this. And I do think that the story matters though, because it is Mm -hmm. so important for people to realize that these are loved children and it happens so fast and it happens in that transition time and yes, CPR matters and all these things matter, but Let's focus a little more on the preventative, I feel like, and a little bit yeah. less on, the, you know, on the CPR part of it, because it didn't matter in our case at all, really. Um, but thank you. I do appreciate it. You know, and there's so much to his story. That is his life and how he lived and uh, how he will live in us. So it isn't just his death and just his sadness, but but it
0: is definitely still, you know, even three years later. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's never going to go away, right? But It's never. Yeah. It's never. I mean, it's just. Um, I saw this imagery, and I about grief. How the grief stays the same. Like the size of the grief is always there. We just grow around it, right? I mean, exactly. it's not. It's. It was like a little ball in like a jar, and I, yes. I, I visually, I visibly saw it, and it was such a perfect depiction of how the grief is. is that the grief doesn't get smaller. The grief is always going to be the same uh, size, but yes. but we, the jar, who we are, grow around the grief so that we can move on uh, and move forward, not move on, right? It's just. I mean, exactly what you're saying like it's I again I'm just I'm, I'm feeling so that, that horror oh my gosh that it, scene. yeah I, I just ugh. really mm, and well, I you know, yeah go ahead no I'm so sorry I was gonna say
1: you know I, first of all you're saying all the right things I know it's difficult to talk to somebody who's lost a child you know and you never know like are you saying the right thing or not and I can tell your heart you're so genuine with everything you're saying so that's all that matters don't overthink what you're saying because I promise it's perfect and also it's just you know I think that that is, like you said, the horror, the shock. the That is, I do think, a big part of what motivates me to continue advocating because it was such shock. Like, we weren't swimming. I mean, you know, and, and of yeah. course, you know that kids can drown and you know kids can, you know, die from injuries. But that is still my immediate reaction. My immediate go-to emotion is the shock and the horror mm-hmm. and the confusion.
0: And we were talking briefly about, like, um, you know, your husband was a physician and people may have had like misconceptions, like, well, you know, they're doctors, they knew this, we had all this. Are there other misconceptions or assumptions that were made after this happened? Like either in your friend group or community, I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure you got like a lot. And if what were the major things that were told to you or the judgment passed, like all of that?
1: Yes, this is such a good question. You know, I do think that, um, uh, oh, to have to tell people that your child drowned, like from the beginning, we knew we were not neglectful. It didn't even cross my mind that that would be something that would be assumed about the situation because we were cleaning up at the house. Like we were doing nothing. Yeah. we were. Nobody was drinking. You know. So of course, we knew we were not neglectful. And it wasn't until like you know, of course, it was probably the next day, but it felt like an eternity. But that um, the local news and all these things had to pick these things up, and um, and then when you read those articles, it's exactly why I thought drowning was never going to happen to me. Mm -hmm. The sheriff had to come and ask his questions. And, um, you know, I'm dripping wet, raging at the universe. I mean, I don't even remember what I said to this poor man. But the way they interpreted, this is not a negative attack against the media or something like that. But like, they don't know. They weren't there. And they have to sum it up. So, you know, it was the entire family was sitting down to dinner when three-year-old Levi Hughes wandered away. It's not yeah. even yeah. at all what it is. Like like oh, I was just yeah. sitting there forgetting at a kid. I mean, you yeah. know, who has a time, especially a three-year-old, and just thinks, oh, well, they're not here while we're eating. It's cool. I'll find I mean that that is not even it wasn't even at all what happened, but definitely the neglect. I definitely the stigma around drowning. There's no way around it. There is no way to tiptoe around it. That is the biggest factor prohibiting progress in drowning prevention no yeah. way around it is that people think drowning happens to children who have neglectful parents who aren't watching them when they're swimming i mean period
0: Explains Chicken thighs with wild rice. Keep kitchen time to a minimum with Factor Meals because they're ready in two minutes, no shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleanup. I work from home and love the convenience and how delicious Factor Meals are. Head to Factor slash PEDS Doc Talk 50 and use code PEDS Doc 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code PEDS 50 at Factor slash PEDS Doc Talk 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active.
1: And not even, you don't even maybe realize you think that, but because so much of the water safety advice that's pushed out is so generic and outdated Mm -hmm. and unfounded on any sort of data, to be honest. And so often it's watch your kids when you're swimming, one arm's reach when you're swimming, you know, but the real data is missing. And, you know, with the real data it is, and of course this is I think the most recent CDC report, so drowning is the number one cause of death for one to Mm -hmm. four-year-olds. And it's a leading cause of death for, I mean, as you know, for all ages, I mean, it's always a risk, you know, worldwide, especially, but but like just within the United States, I think it was 78% of all drownings were taught were one to four-year-olds. So that's a huge percentage. Like, right? I mean, especially like as a scientist, would you not say like that is some strong data when yeah. you look at what percentage it is that it's toddlers in the one to four range? And then if you continue to break that down, most toddlers are drowning when it's a non swim time. And yeah. I think that is the information that is missing. The transition time, it's every story. You know, unfortunately, I know hundreds of parents now have lost a toddler and I I don't want to say this and then people let their guard down when they're swimming with their kids, obviously, Um, but very rarely is that when it's even happening. Um, The closest it comes to that sort of happening is when they've been in the puddle jumper and a parent takes it off and they're like sort of chilling on the side in a chair, eating a snack or something. And then they manage to get, well, maybe while the older kids are still swimming and the parent sort of thinks they're sitting there and, you know, you're distracted for a second putting goggles on your other child or, you know, whatever it is. And then somehow the, the child reaches the water again. But even that's not even technically a swim time. You know, like you think in your head of a swim time, right? We think they're drowning when they're in the water and you see them. So that stigma around, you know, not watching your kids when you're swimming and is very harmful. Mm-hmm. It really is encouraging our culture in a way to allow children to drown because every time you hear that message, you sort of find the loophole or you mentally check off like, oh, my child won't. Drown because of course I watched them when we were swimming. Okay. Right. Moving on to the next thing to worry about. Right.
0: And I think you're right, though. I mean, that stigma goes with all safety things, like including hot car deaths. And then we talk about drowning. It's that mentality of it's never going to happen to me. So when you have that mentality, then you are more likely to judge other people when these accidents happen. I mean, I see this all the time as a pediatrician, and it drives me nuts when people judge other parents for things that are truly accidents. I mean, this was an accident. I mean, this was an accident that no family deserves that judgment or, Hey, you should have done this, or maybe we should have done this. Like, of course, I'm sure people are thinking of that, but it's, 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 it's what we should educate about. Hey, we want to educate you about safety, but that safety stigma and that whole mentality of, Oh, it would never happen to me. I cringe when people say that I cringe in my office. I cringe when family members say it. Like if I'm having conversations about something, sad that happened and you know they were like oh but that would never happen i'm like is it are you sure because what you're describing that happened to levi i that is exactly how i've seen drowning deaths happen in my, time that transition in my, time yeah in the- like in my residency and when i was a medical student and i will never Ever forget those families because these were exactly like your family loving parents who were having social gatherings, which we all do. Everyone is in the home, everyone's playing, everyone's getting ready for bed. It's what we do. I mean, this is yes. what you're describing is not an unusual circumstance. And I cannot even imagine that, you know, when the police officers had to come and you were telling them, and it seems so much more written as like that's not what I can totally see that happening um and that's when I would feel that judgment too it's like whoa no no like we were getting ready families get ready like this thousands of times like you you know we were were so yes thank you for saying all that you know
1: if you had given me a thousand reasons why one of my kids would have died drowning would have not even been in my list of the top Mm -hmm. (laughs) 1,000 you know because I would have thought well, they're not going to drown because we watch them when they're swimming. You yeah. know, we don't have a backyard pool or whatever. But I don't think I ever did it. I know I didn't do it like in a judgmental way. And I do think that some parents, I think it's almost human nature. We have so many things to worry about that we're just trying to find that loophole of like what we can check off. Right. And mm-hmm. so I do think it is partially that. But, you know, I have to say that I have had just such a beautiful support from Social media, I don't even remember like making the decision. I didn't even have a public Instagram before. Like I just had, you know, hearing pictures of my kids or whatever. It wasn't like I set out to let me share about grief and about drowning prevention. I don't remember like thinking about it. I think I just started sharing things. But there's never like an agenda or a motive really beyond just sharing how I was at that moment. But I mean, it's just been such a beautiful experience. I have to mm-hmm. say the support and the um, encouragement and people who, you know, say that they've signed their child up for so unless I, you know, if I saw her, that they threw the puddle jumper away. And I think that when people hear the statistics, if you, if, so if a parent is really willing to look at the statistics and really face, you know, face to face, drowning is the number one thing that could take my three-year-old from me,
0: mm-hmm. then
1: maybe I need to take this seriously. Like I'm not just a mom who's sad. I mean, these are the statistics that I do think then it does sort of encourage parents to say, Okay then what action steps can I take? Because it really is doable. Like this can be, um, I don't want to say it's just like an easy approach, obviously, but it, it isn't impossible.
0: Like this is not Well, you can never go anywhere where there's a pool again. <laughs> you know, that's not yeah. at all the point. And I think, you know, you've focused so much of your advocacy working with the AAP, right? I mean, the yes. AAP is obviously the American Academy of Pediatrics. Tell me more about the work that you've done with them in regards to changing how we word or educate about water safety? I mean, I would love yeah. to hear what you uh, work with them about. Yeah, Gosh, I I always start crying when I talk about this Aww. because I just, I know it's been, Aww. it's just been,
1: um, you know, I don't really know if honor is the right word because I, I still wish I wasn't doing it, obviously. But of course, working with the AAP has been, um, you know, like I told you at another time, you know, it always, it always like makes me tear up because it's just been such a an example of beauty in the midst of tragedy and just an affirmation of reaffirming that people really are good and pediatricians really do care about kids. I mean, it is. Mm-hmm. It's a real thing. And and just sort of witness that firsthand and witness the evolution of this over just the last three years of this new drowning prevention policy and toolkit has been really of course, I wish I wasn't doing it, obviously, but it has really been so, um, so it really has been special. But so the week after Levi died, like exactly like a week to the day, my husband found the information on the CDC website, you know, the age group most at risk of drowning is one to four year olds. We did not know this beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, we live in Tennessee. I mean, we just didn't know what age is one to four. And um, most often it's when they're not swimming and they somehow reach water. Unanticipated access to water you know and and what I can't remember the exact statistic, but the vast majority of them are out of sight for you know fewer than five minutes um we were just sitting there and it was like our hearts like broke all over again because I just thought I was really angry to be honest and not that we were trying to push blame off of ourselves I mean we were his parents and we were responsible to keep him safe I mean there's no way around it but we didn't know we just did I know it sounds crazy and you know, even my husband said later, you know, when Nicole, he was playing devil's advocate and he said, well, what is there to know? You know, kids can't breathe underwater. And I was like, but how else are we supposed to know what we're doing? You know, as Mm -hmm. a parent, I do depend on parenting books and parenting articles and guidelines and pediatricians. I mean, I don't know what I'm doing (laughs) without that guidance. And so it was pretty heartbreaking. I mean, I kept thinking, surely I just misplaced this information. You know, we had just taken Um, Levi had gone on to his three-year well-child checkup in April of 2018. And actually, it was the first week of April. And actually, um, that same day, you know, my husband said, what are we going to do about Levi and swim lessons? And I said, and this is, I still have a screenshot of like that shows the date I visited. I said, I don't know. Let me see what the AAP says. Because that's Mm. what I always did for, you know, even though I now have five kids, I still can't ever remember, you know, when things change so much. You know, with my 12-year-old daughter, car seats, you turn them around at one. You know, and now, of course, it's, you know, it's changed just, just since I've had my oldest daughter and 12 years ago. So I always just double check to make sure, you know, that nothing has, has been revised. So, so let me see what the AAP says and looked it up and it said to wait until they were four or until they were ready. And so we stood in my kitchen and we said, well, he does not seem ready. I mean, he was a mm. boy, you know, with these two older girls who are very stereotypical girls who would like do something for the sticker, you know, <laughs> he yeah, a sticker know. On a like I'll do that. Okay. And he was not going to do that. He was not going to be interested in that. And was silly and fun, but he was just such a boy. And we said, well, we're just going to wait because we actually said, we thought we were doing the right thing. I said, I don't want him to ever think he's supposed to get in water without the puddle jumper. So mm-hmm. I thought, you know, this way it will be black and white. You know, it's swim lessons. I didn't want him to be confused and think, well, sometimes I can get him without it. I genuinely thought I was making the best decision for him. I was wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, we had exactly, we had two and a half months left and we had no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so we decided to not put him in. So after we lost Levi, my husband, found these statistics and I just started searching. I was like, so my first thought was, I'm just going to share what the AAP has. I just got to push it out there on social media, maybe, you know. So I went, I looked it up on their Twitter, Facebook, the AAP. There's like a blog, the Healthy Children website, all of these things. And this was 2018. I found one post About drowning was July. This was the middle of July of 2018. Found one post about drowning from the summer of 2017, an article from 2004, and an article from 2010. Mm, Wow. Mm -hmm. There was more about mosquitoes. Wow. there was it about drowning. And I just honestly felt like my heart shattered. And looking back, I want to be clear. And I understand now so much through working so closely with them and how much they do really care and all pediatricians really do care. It is a complicated thing. It isn't something like car seats where there's federal regulation around the production of them and the manufacturing and mm-hmm. the testing of them. Right. And so, because drowning is so complicated and it seems so complicated It really isn't when you break it down, but with different age groups and different geographical locations. And the biggest thing is because there's so little data around what works and what doesn't, you know, that's why there just wasn't as much. And to be quite honest, I think that the AAP and I think that they admitted this, I guess, you know, a a little bit, not in so many words. I don't put words in anybody's mouth, but the idea of like the stigma, even even in this case, you know, it's like, well, watch your kids. I mean, we have to save these other kids this is not what anyone has ever said to me. This is, you know, but I do think that the stigma just indirectly, you know, did play a role sort of in that as well. You know, like, well, here's the advice, watch your kids. It's fine. But obviously there's more to that. So I became friends with Bodie and Morgan Miller, who are absolutely incredible. And, um, they lost their daughter, Emmy, same day as Levi across the country from each other, um, same day, same year, same way, not swimming.
0: Wow, same day? I didn't realize same it was day. the same day. Wow. And, um, oh my gosh. And we
1: just connected as friends and they're incredible. Yeah. And um through them and through uh, you know, we just were reaching out and so we connected with AAP and um this was in summer of 2018. And again, I have to give them so much credit for the work that really they've done. But there's still so much to be done, still to be honest. But if you look at three years ago versus now, it does. Feel like This is definitely moving in the right direction. Um, and we actually were able to help give insight and feedback to the updated policy that was released in 2019. And we're in Chicago at the annual leadership forum of the AAP in March of 2019, when the revised policy was released in 2019. And, and we were able to do PSAs for the AAP and help give some feedback and insight and things like that into the drowning prevention toolkit that they created. So it was, you know, it, it is difficult to choose the right words because, again, mm-hmm. this is not exactly it's not an accomplishment. It's not something I wish I was doing. Um, but I am grateful for how they didn't move quickly. I mean, especially for the AAP, you know, usually things like this take years and years when you're looking at a large organization like that. So it has been good to get some of that advocacy through such a powerful platform.
0: Yeah. Oh, I'm so grateful for that. I mean, that's just how change happens. And especially, you know, with uh, big organizations like AAP, it can be sometimes hard to get your message across, you know, but obviously advocacy is how you do that. It's like politics, you know, like obviously getting anything, um, you know, across. So it's so nice to hear that they were receptive and I'm, you know, I'm not surprised, but that's just so nice to hear. And I am going to be attaching some resources about the conversations that were had and just more about safety tips useful for parents, but also useful for any pediatricians or medical professionals who are listening. So thank you. I know you had sent me those. So thank you so much. I'll put that on my show notes. As parents, we take on a large mental load. Have you ever thought what may be interfering with your happiness? Is something preventing you from achieving your goals and true happiness as a parent? BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. This is professional, confidential counseling done securely online. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available with services available worldwide. I want you to start living a happier life today for you and your family. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash peds. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash peds. Therapy helps. And with better help, you're one step closer to taking charge of your mental health looking
1: at their policy and the things there's still so much that isn't known. Mm -hmm. Um, but one thing that I am grateful for, and I hope we continue to see more of, especially with pediatricians is there seems to be like this default recommendation for the American Red Cross or the YMCA swim lessons. And I have a wonderful connection with some people in the Aquatics Department of the American Red Cross, you know, we love our YMCA, like this is not something like attacking, you know, any organization here. But there is actually no evidence, zero evidence to support either of those swim instruction programs. But yet there is like this grandfathered in, completely unfounded on any sort of evidence, recommendation of, oh, we'll go to the American Cross or go to the YMCA. Like it's really bizarre, actually. And that is one thing that it was a little bit more difficult to get that is ingrained, I think, is just the immediate. Swim lessons go here. It doesn't mean people can't still recommend it, but I do think it needs to be very clear that there is no data on whether or not these are effective versus the sort of typical reference to go to one of those programs. And that's one thing that I've been really happy with with AAP is sort of being more transparent about what is known, but also what is not known. There hasn't been a specific study on puddle jumpers yet, Um, but also we can say, well, here's what we do know and here's what we don't know yet about those, and then letting parents sort of make their own decision. You know, taking this right. information and making the decision that is best, you know, for their families with the swim program or with whether or not to use a puddle jumper.
0: Let's talk about puddle jumpers. Like, what? I mean, obviously, hmm. I know, but in terms of like explaining why <laughs> puddle jumpers are not ideal. Like, what are the situation here that you know, we now know
1: of? Exactly. And I think that well, I know for a fact. I thought it was, like I said, the best thing I could do for yeah. ever for my kids. I mean, because again, I thought they were drowning when they were swimming. So I think that once you look at those statistics and you realize that toddlers are drowning when they reach the water alone during a non-swim time, almost always. And again, even if it is sort of during a swim time, it's usually when they've taken the puddle jumper off, gone inside to eat a hot dog, and then they managed to reach the pool alone. You know, so even if they're still wearing their swimsuit, that isn't really a swim time, right? They have taken it off. So the problem is the marketing is brilliant on their part. And they say U.S. Coast Guard approved. And they have a picture of a kid jumping into a swimming pool. Well, Um, And anybody can reach out to the U.S. Coast Guard and they will verify this. The U.S. Coast Guard does not approve, endorse or test items to be used in swimming pools ever. They Mm. only test items to be used on like vessels, like on boats or on docks if you're going to be around natural water. Like that's it. So what these companies have done is taken this U.S. Coast Guard approval, which they are to be, they could be worn on a dock if you're fishing, if you're not planning on getting in the water. Like that's what they're intended to be worn for. They're not even intended to be worn in lakes. So, you know, if if somebody actually did the research on what does this U.S. Coast Guard approval even, you know, cover. So they put this U.S. Coast Guard seal next to a picture of a child jumping in a swimming pool. And it says on most of the different types, learn to swim aid. And again, there is no data to support that. There is not a single study, nothing that supports that a puddle jumper helps your child learn to swim. And in fact, every aquatics instructor that is qualified and has any sort of background in actual aquatic survival and not just ISR, but I mean like, you know, swim schools, like even people who have a different sort of opinion on swimming will tell you that any sort of flotation device is dangerous. Basically, everything they market is false. It is completely false advertising. They keep the child in a vertical position, which that's not how you swim, anyway. Yeah. Um, so they're training their muscle memory. They have muscle memory to be trained to be vertical in the water. So then when they do learn to swim, they have to unlearn that muscle memory. So you're behind. So not only is it not a learn to swim aid, it's actually a learn to swim hindrance, is what I should say. So not only does it impact that, but also the biggest thing is it gives a false sense of security. So kids think they. they will bob right back up in the water. You know, if they reach the water alone and they jump in or, and again, with parents, there's a false insecurity. And like now we have a two-year-old and a six-month-old. And of course they will never wear a puddle jumper. And our two-year-old's already been through two rounds of it and she's swimming and she will never wear a puddle jumper. And that means when we're at the pool, I never let my guard down. Not that you let your guard down, but like when I had a five-year-old, three-year-old, a one-year-old and they were in a puddle jumper, you know, maybe I could thought for a second I could put the right. goggles on, you know, while this one's bottom right. right here next to me, right? But you can't do that if there's no puddle jumper. So then you're constantly aware of where they are, you know, at all times, even when you go inside to Easy Mac and cheese. These are the stories. These are all the stories. It's mm-hmm. when they go inside to make the Easy Mac and the child reaches the water alone. It's when they come inside at the birthday party to open the presents at the pool party. And one of them slips out and reaches the pool alone. It's when you're packing up the car for the 4th of July and everybody's in the front yard and you forgot your casserole dish and you run back inside to grab it. And the three-year-old gets to the backyard and reaches the pool alone. It's the first time ever, ever that a 15-month-old has climbed out of the crib and you think they're asleep and it's like 6.30 and you're putting the dishes up and they manage to reach the backyard pool. These are the stories. This is when drowning happens.
0: Becoming a new mom does not come with a manual, but I'm trying to get as close to it as possible. Are you expecting a baby or know somebody who is? Make sure to grab my first year course, The New Mom Survival Guide. The on-demand course contains modules covering parenting in the first year, newborn feeding like breast and formula feeding, newborn sleep and infant sleep, introduction of solids, safety, baby care how-tos, developmental milestones, teething, and so much more. With videos and printables, you will feel supported through the first year. The course also has a roadmap that takes you through what to expect visit by visit so you can feel more confident and calm in the choices that you make and the stages that you'll go through during your baby's first year. By purchasing, you also get access to our Facebook community to troubleshoot issues or concerns. It also makes a great gift that can support a new mom through her motherhood journey. Check out the New Mom Survival Guide by visiting Pedsdoctalk.com and searching our popular courses.
1: Not only does the pedal jumper give them a false sense of security, but it also, if you're wearing a pedal jumper in the pool, then it means you don't know how to swim, too, right? So they're used as a substitute as... For being able to swim, so then of course parents, the question I get asked often then was, what are they supposed to wear instead in the water, right? To which I say, a swimsuit. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) No flotation devices. It isn't just now. Quickly clarification, unless you're in natural water, right? Because it's natural water, deep and dark, and there's currents. So you know, like I said, we live on a lake. Like we don't even leave our back porch without those life jackets on. Um, So that is a completely different situation. But because most toddlers the vast majority of toddler drownings are in a swimming pool. Not all of them. So that doesn't I mean you can find a loophole if you don't have a pool, you know, but so there's so many different layers. But but ultimately, if your child is big enough to be wearing a puddle jumper, then they should know how to be, to self-rescue anyway. So they yeah. shouldn't even need it. Because that was one of the, um. I'm sorry, I know I'm just like... <laughs> Full steam ahead here. I
0: uh, love it. No, and I think you know, but you, what you're describing is exactly like. I mean, we talk about these false securities, right? I mean, I agree with you. Like, I like to use example. Like, I know this is not exactly the same, but walkers, right? Like infant walkers, we don't recommend them because they give false security and they don't actually teach a child to walk. Same thing. A puddle jumper would not teach your child to swim, and also could be a safety risk. And it is. And yes. it's that. It's exactly the false security that you mentioned as a guardian who is you know, when you know you have a puddle jumper, and exa- you said that perfectly, of course, we're all watching our children. But when they have an extra layer of protection, you're more likely to agree, like, okay, well, let me take care of this. I see my child, they have the puddle jumper on, we got this. But when you don't have your child in anything, and you know, they can't swim, you know, they're just in a swimsuit, you have an extra layer of, okay, wait, where are they, right? It's, it is it is false security. I see that. And I have so many stories in with friends whose kids have used puddle jumpers. And even at these events, the children drowns or or nearly drowns, right? Meaning they went underwater and then someone went racing in because the child thought they had the puddle jumper. All the parents were busy. And this was like before I even became a physician. And I was like, dang, what's happening with all these kids? And then as I became a pediatrician, I was like, oh man. And then now that's why seeing all those incidents, thankfully no one lost their lives, but it's like, you know, that you don't need them and your child's not learning. So why use them? Is my? It's exactly. kind of how I look at it. You're not. Your child's not we learning. We what, know that. Yeah.
1: And what's the end game? So you're going to leave them in right. until they're five, and then you're going right. to teach them to swim. I mean, it,
0: you know, it's, and, you're right that you need survival skills. And let, I want to talk about that, like survival skills. Like when you talk about ISR, and if you can briefly just mention, I know we could talk a whole episode about ISR, but. When can, in your opinion, I know I agree with what you have done and what you have done with your, you know, your children, but when would you recommend ISR? What is it? You obviously see it work because you see it with your two-year-old and your other children, but just a little primer on what that is. So parents can decide what's best for them. I would love for you to tell me more. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. And
1: that's what it is. This isn't about you have to do this or you have to do that. I think the biggest thing is just slim classes are not And I say this with all due respect to dance classes and soccer, because my kids do all this too. I'm not saying, you know, dog and nose, but this should not be something you take lightly. You should not just go to your rec center on a Saturday morning and let the 16 year old, I do not think you should, but maybe that is a great option for your family, but it needs to be a researched option. It doesn't need to be your first option. Like if you look at all of the choices you have, and that is your best one, then choose that. But do not choose that because you're just trying to check swim lessons off your list. Um, You know, which I think a lot of people do. They yes. think, oh, this will be fun. We'll do mommy and me. You know, so one of the biggest things with the 2019 AAP policy was, you know, sort of having that heavier emphasis on beginning around age one. And again, anyone can look this up. I mean, this is what it states in the policy: is that evidence you know reveals that many children, you know, around age one or older will benefit from swim lessons. And this was one thing that we really, it was very important for us that it was um, placed in there and um, it's just making sure, that this even states it's in the AAP policy. Parents and caregivers should investigate options for swim lessons in their community before enrollment to make sure that the program meets their needs. And then this was a big win. I was really excited about this. High quality swim lessons include swimming in clothes, falling in and practicing self-rescue. Mm-hmm. So ISR, basically it's, self-rescue survival swim lessons. And ISR is the original, you know, and they are the ones that that started all this. There are, but many communities have similar options like the swim schools or infant aquatics, survival swim development network. So if you say, I don't have ISR in my community, there are other options. And I share a lot about this on my Instagram page, like what to look for, questions to ask. Um, And really what I would say the best advice I could say for somebody looking for a swim lesson instructor for their child is to ask this yes or no question because this is all that matters really especially when you're talking about toddlers will these lessons teach my child how to reach the surface completely independently and get air Mm -hmm. because that's really all you that's what you need and if they're not willing to do that then what are they doing (laughs) then what is the point of these lessons and that is a yes or no question completely independently that is not with an instructor standing in the water next to them. Not with a floaty on, because a lot of people say, Well, my kid can swim great. I hear it all the time. In their puddle jumper. Yeah. I'm like, that's not swimming. You know, so what ISR, what these self-rescue lessons do is teach the child how to roll onto their back and float and get oxygen. And the coolest thing about it is, I mean, it really is incredible. Willow, our now two-year-old, she did her first round at nine months. And so she could fall in and turn over on her back and just Hang out there. I mean, they like they can float indefinitely. Really. Yeah. I mean, um, and then now she took her second round, so she learned to just roll to float at that age. And then once, and it varies kind of, you know, a little bit per kid, but um, typically around like 18 months they can learn, and sometimes even earlier, they can learn the swim, float, swim sequence. So now she's swimming. I mean, she just turned two in May. It's July. She's swimming. She jumps in the water, swims across the pool. I mean, completely no puddle jumpers nothing and so it isn't just about teaching them to float but you know that does sort of lay the, the foundation of what they need to do which is get oxygen and the cool thing about it too is that, you know like I said earlier how often I told Levi about water being dangerous well this shows them yeah and you know my ISR instructor she was so good and you know, she said we are giving Willow and Teddy information about the water that they deserve to have And that is ultimately what it comes down to. It is not fair to our children for us to tell them water is this super fun and safe place. Come on in. You know, I've said this before, but we don't stand in a parking lot and say, come on in. It's super fun. You know, we don't put them around like a couch full of guns and say, I just want you to get comfortable. But this is what we do over and over and over with water. We want them to just be comfortable and not be afraid of it. (laughs) It is deadly. So why would we do that to them? And there's a way to do it where we still, you can still enjoy it. Honestly, Willow enjoys water now more than any of my kids have it to, because they were really confined to the pedal jumper. And I didn't, I didn't realize it, obviously, with my first three. You know, when they were two, I thought that's what I was supposed to do. But she can do everything. She can jump in. You know, she enjoys it more. She has a respect for the water. It's really a cool process to watch and, and to see it work. And now they are, most cases, now some um, swim schools and some programs are a little bit different, but... Um, especially like ISR is every day for like four to six weeks for 10 minutes. And I I know that those are real issues that have to be addressed. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Now I do think though, if you think about it this way, what I try to tell people, the reason it's every day is because I mean, they're learning to swim and they're building directly on what they learned the day before. Um, You know, with my older kids, we did the whole like one lesson a week for 150 years is what it felt like. And, And then it took them so long to learn to swim. Now, I take that back. Reese actually learned. We did like private 45-minute lessons, and she did learn pretty quickly, my 8-year-old. But, you know, a lot of times parents enroll their kids in these sort of mommy and me, YMCA, American Cross programs. And I'm not here to just say that that is bad. But then you're talking months, typically, of learning. um, And months of the cost. So if you look at it this way, you're really investing the time and the money up front. And then in theory, you know, then you're kind of done. Um, you do still have to do, it's like anything else. You have to make sure they are maintaining it. So Willow did her around in May. And then we have like a refresher thing here that I can do. And it's, you know, once or twice a month that I just take her for like a lesson for 10 minutes just to make sure. Okay. You know, mainly because we don't have a pool in our backyard. If we had a pool, one component of ISR is that they teach the parents how to get in the water with the kids and help just reinforce it. Um, mm. Yeah. And it's just something as simple as every time they get in the water, you know you have to do your swim, float, swim, one sequence of it back and forth, and then you can do whatever you want. You know, you remember that. Okay. And it's just a really empowering experience. I mean, anyone who has witnessed it and watched it all the way through the entire process, you know, it's unanimous. How is this not the standard? How is this not the standard?
0: (laughs) Um, What I see a lot of, and um, a lot of the The negativity around ISR. So I appreciate you talking about the cost and the schedule because we looked at it and right now we can't make it happen with the time because we both are working like crazy and the pandemic, but it's something me and my husband have talked about because we're grateful. Like if we were to have a house with a pool or if we're going to, you know, right now we're in a pandemic, we're not really going anywhere with water um, right now for us. Um, But we want to make it happen. I actually do like the concept of ISR. I think it's great if, and I'm very grateful that we can afford it, but it's just a time issue. But um, if we can make that happen or get a nanny who can help us, you know, that would be awesome. But the other negative conception I see in here, which I really want to address is when parents say, my child was traumatized yeah, by it. Or it looks traumatizing. And from a developmental perspective, I really want to, you know, for anyone listening who says that, or hears that. And, and you know, I, I want to remind you that anytime your child does something new, it's not going to be roses and daisies. Like your child learns how to do tummy time, your child, if you, if you decide to do sleep training, if you decide to, your child starts to crawl, your child starts to walk, your child starts school, any new experience is never going to be or may not be happy. And that doesn't mean the tears are negative. It doesn't mean that the fear is negative. It's getting used to the feelings and not shutting down those feelings. So when I say to those parents, I appreciate you and wanting to look out for the well-being of your child. And I don't think, though, when you're teaching a child a skill like swimming, a life-saving skill that I think your child is going to be fine. I mean, your child is not going to be traumatized. Like trauma, the word traumatized, like when parents talk about trauma, I think they're forget like, we really forget what trauma. Real trauma is. Yeah, like yeah, I have seen real trauma. Right. Like I have seen real trauma as for myself, for children. Teaching them a skill is never what I define as trauma. Of course they're going to cry. I mean, my son did traditional classes and cried, right? Like where they are very quote unquote gentle. And, you know, I know that. It's going to happen whatever you do. So I'm not saying you should do ISR. I'm not, me and you have both talked about like, but I don't want that to be the reason why you don't do it. Because even I can tell you, I see traditional swimming classes where children are crying, but yet we still do that, right? So yes, it may seem to you like, oh my God, this is traumatizing, but it's not trauma that's gonna harm your child. Like there's a difference. There's a loving person with you. Like, it's not like the person's leaving you and just letting the child fend for themselves. Like, it's not like that. It's, hey, I'm right by you. I know that you're capable of doing this. Like, let's teach you. And so I know I I share that sentiment all the time. I absolutely share that because... That word of trauma, I'm like mm, trauma. Like it happens with me when my parents come into my office and they're like, "Well, we have to get a blood dry. Well, is it going to hurt?" I'm like, "Well, yeah, it's going to hurt, but that right, doesn't mean yeah, that it's going right. to be like. It doesn't mean that they're going to like lose sleep over it for a month, right? Like we got to understand that sometimes we need to go through things. Like, oh my like, gosh, yes. It's, it's anyways. So I know that's it, no, yeah. I'm, yeah. Like, I'm just sitting
1: here like baby. <laughs> this is exactly. Yeah. Thank you for that perspective, as because obviously it's one thing for me to support it and, and like you said too I'm not saying that it's the answer for everybody at all either but exactly like you said though, I would rather somebody make the decision because they carefully researched all of the different options and decided on the one that was best for them versus just immediately you know thinking that this is some sink or swim approach where they're just throwing their kid in the water because right. that is not what it is um, and just immediately you know brushing it aside so yes it is you, I mean, you really covered it. I don't exact exactly perfectly. And of course now I have five children and my oldest is 12 and yes, they have to go through things. I mean, yeah. I have seen the most growth and the happiness even from my children when they have gone through something that was hard and then, you know, came out on the other side and they feel that empowerment. Like what a gift we are giving to our kids. Like beside just, I mean, if this wasn't enough, you know, ability to save yourself in the water, ability to literally save your own life, the ability to enjoy water more really, because now Uh, you can swim and play. But beyond those two things, like giving them this gift of, you know, I believe that you can do this and I want to empower you to go through this thing and come out on the other side, having done this. And I will say, especially when I watched Willow do it, she was, we've had two children since we lost Levi. And so when she did her first round, it was obviously very... Emotional for me, but mm-hmm. um after she finished, she was nine months old. You know, and she could just crawl in that pool, flip on her back. I mean, like it was nothing. I remember thinking, "What else can you do? Like, can you start folding the clothes? Like, I'm clearly—they <laughs> didn't realize how capable, yeah, you know, a baby was. But um I think that as far as the trauma, you know, we don't. One thing I try to tell parents is, all of my kids have cried in the car seat. I mean, they just have. Yeah. And to be honest, too, so far I'm four for four. Teddy's only six months. I'm sure I'll be five for five here when it comes with all of my kids crying when they're toddlers, basically as their favorite hobby. Like Willow is too. And she is so great. And she is so special. And she's been the biggest gift to us. But right. They just cry a lot. I mean, this is just what they do. And so, uh, you know, when we're in the car and they're crying, I don't like pull over and say, well, let me get you out because, you know, you're crying. Let me hold you in my lap. And coddle you. No, I'm like, you have to stay there because I have to keep you safe. It does bother me when parents, you know, I want to shake parents and say, you know, your feeling of being emotionally nervous about this Mm -hmm. does not trump. You know, you should say to your child, I care enough about your safety. I care more about your safety than I do about my feelings of being nervous on the side. Right. It's just, it's just what it is. And to be fair, a lot of it is just, they just don't know. Um, But there are so many swim instructors who will say, you know, three-year-olds can't learn to swim or two-year-olds can't learn to swim. And I'm not just like a negative, mean person. I genuinely believe everybody is doing what they think is best, even within this drowning prevention world, if you will. Everyone genuinely wants to keep kids safe. Um, But there are so many different perspectives on it. And when somebody says a two-year-old can't learn to swim, instructor, what they're really saying is that they are not capable of teaching a two-year-old to swim, which is fine. And and maybe a parent doesn't want their two-year-old to learn to swim, but just looking at all of the options that are available, you know, and I would just strongly encourage a parent to go, you know, like I said, ask that one question, will these lessons teach my child to independently get to the surface and get air? I don't know what else you possibly could want from a swim lesson. And so if the answer to that isn't yes, then this is not even worth your time. Um, but, but, um, you know, starting with that and then maybe picking a few options of swim lessons, going to look, uh, and then go back in like two or three weeks and look at those same kids and see what kind of progress they made. Um, now with that being said, before we lost Levi, we had nothing. We did not have ISR. We did not have any sort of survival program. We only had sort of like the mommy and me type class for toddlers. There were a few people who taught private swim lessons beginning at age three, which is what my older girls learned. But again, I just didn't think he was ready for that sort of traditional approach. And that's where I think ISR is so great because it is so behavioral based that it isn't based on like sticker charts and your child's willingness to do or not do something, right? Like there's so much more of a like, you're just training them essentially that you need oxygen and here's how to get it. Um, Just like you would with, you know, teaching them not to hit, right? Or teaching them, you know, really anything, but yeah. But, um, it is frustrating, but I think what parents can do, like in your situation, like you said, I mean, I know that it is so inaccessible to a lot of people who who work. And now, as far as costs, there are numerous nonprofits that have scholarships, and I can send you a link for that. Um, so, cost, and a lot of ISR instructors have a pay it back program where they, you know, we're happy to, to help offset some of those costs um, if it's a true financial need. Now, if you're going to Disney and your kid plays, you know, competition, baseball, and you're traveling every weekend, then you probably afford it, right? So if you're right. To report, yes. people don't prioritize it, right? But the other thing that parents can do, let's say that you don't have access to any of these type of lessons, is just don't put them in a puddle jumper, get in the water with them. And if you have multiple kids, that may mean rethinking the way you spend time in the water. Like maybe it has mm-hmm. to be a splash pad day, and not a pool day, to be honest. But you know, get in the water with them, let them feel what it's like to be in the water. Like don't just drop them in there. That's not what I'm saying, right? But like, let them have that feeling. don't let them have that buoyancy that false buoyancy of a puddle jumper and the biggest thing I would say too is just reach out to your local swim programs and ask them share with them the updated AAP information you know share with them about toddlers who know how to self rescue and how this is possible, and you know I know situations where the demand has been so great that the supply comes, right so the right. more people are asking for this, these lessons, the more they're going to become accessible to everybody. And in fact, our YMCA has a floating program and it's twice a week and you can choose two or three times a week. And some swim schools who teach self-rescue have um, options and things like that, where you sort of have more flexibility. You can pick like a Saturday morning, a Tuesday night, a Thursday afternoon type thing. And so it would be great, you know, if there were more options like that, but we've just got to like beat the drum, sound the alarm, you know, raise the demand for this. And then maybe it is through, you know, one thing to be quite honest, I've talked with the American Red Cross and the YMCA about is trying to incorporate more of this into their lessons because, you know, and really just having more of a focus on self-rescue and a little bit less of a focus on jump to mommy and let's sing wheels on the bus and water (laughs) and teach kids that it's fun.
0: No, oh, this is so great. I mean, well, I love the conversation and your agreement on the behavioral stuff with all the swimming things and just the amount of information, you know, the education and awareness you've given me and everyone is just so great. I truly just appreciate you so much. And the conversation that we were able to have for everyone. Um, is there any final message you have for everyone listening today?
1: I just want to start with thank you. I know that was like a lot of information that I'm kind of, you know, putting out there. And so thank you to you and to anybody who's made it, you know, <laughs> through this. I really appreciate it. You know, and I do share a lot on my Instagram like more kind of detailed things, but the biggest thing I would, I would tell parents is just, you know, looking up the statistics on their child's age mm-hmm. and what they can do about water safety for their age and taking action accordingly. I mean, that's really what I would say. So if you have a toddler making sure there are layers of protection in place for them to reach the water, you know, deadbolts and four sided fences and, and self rescue lessons. Um, if you have a teenager, they need to wear a life jacket in natural water because that's when most teenagers drown is in right. natural water without a life jacket. Typically it's good swimmers also. Um, yeah. so that would be my biggest, well, besides thank you. And then I appreciate this. Cause I know that was a lot, um, is just don't panic, you know, but just do some research for your child's ages and your geographical location and figure out what you can do to keep your kids safe from mm-hmm. water.
0: Oh, this is great. And yeah. And my big final message was about understanding that when things happen and, you know, these awful things happen to families that it can happen to any of us. And, you know, we talked about the, just dropping the judgment and dropping the, well, it wouldn't happen to me. All all those conversations don't serve any purpose. We just want to educate and provide awareness and compassion and love. And I just send you so much gratitude again for joining me today. And thank you for everyone who joined us for this amazing conversation. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in for this week's episode. As always, please leave a review. Share this episode with a friend. Share it on your social media. Make sure to follow me at PedsDocTalk on Instagram and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Pete's Doc talk TV. We'll talk to you soon. Are you tired of searching Google and ending up in a rabbit hole at 2 a.m. thinking that you're ruining your kid? stop and visit PedsDocTalk.com. My website is your new Google with a search feature to search all content that I have that is free or available by purchase. And let me tell you, there are a lot of free goodies there, like free printable PDFs for how to handle a choking incident to milestones to monitor in your kid. My website provides information regarding the health and development of your child, including parenting and sleep. My goal is that you stop those middle-of-the-night searches that lead you nowhere but into the land of anxiety. My goal is to guide you to be the confident and calm parent I know that you are. Make sure to visit pedsdoctalk.com and use the magnifying glass to search. Want even more? Make sure to sign up for our newsletter by visiting peds.talk.com newsletter, where you can get the latest and greatest in child health news and parenting tips delivered directly to your inbox. That's peds.talk.com newsletter.